Hello and welcome back. I'm Tracy Ramos and this is my podcast, Booze Nation. In San Francisco opened up this past week, June 15th, a joyous day. And over a year of closure, we are finally back up. And from what I can tell here in my neighborhood, the Poppin' Inner Sunset, people are so happy to be out and about. The mood is joyous, it's festive, and it's relaxed, which is good. Having said that, most people are walking around with their masks, not on, but they have them, so that when they enter an establishment, they can put their mask back on. Please continue to do so. For me, I really felt that San Francisco was open when a little old lady told me to go to hell when I wouldn't let her cut in front of me when I was standing in line in Arizmendi. And I was like, yep, San Francisco, we're back. Here we go. So we are back open and please everybody do your part to help each other. Thank you. And I have a quick correction. Last week, I mentioned that my upcoming guest would be Chris Green, and that was a mistake. Today, it is not Chris Green, but it is Will Morgan, who is originally from North Carolina, which is another place I haven't been to. And I met Will through a mutual friend, Peter. And Will was very new to San Francisco when we met. And he would come and visit me at a bar I was working at in the Mission on Sunday nights. And Will would tell me all the things that he was doing in San Francisco and experiencing. And it was so sweet. And I just really enjoyed uh, Will's energy and his expressions and his lens of San Francisco and being new to San Francisco. It was such a treat when he would come in. So this is our interview with Will. And he is actually in Mexico City when we are talking. So I really appreciate him taking time away from eating all the delicious Mexican food to talk to me. And thank you, Will. And we're just going to jump right into the interview. Thanks. I love your background. I love the purple. I love the artwork. That looks beautiful. Happy to be here. Oh my gosh. And how long are you going to be in Mexico City? So I'm in Mexico City currently until Friday. I got here on Friday. So it'll be one full week. <sighs> That's so spectacular. Oh my God. How was, how was it flying? Were you nervous? No. No, not nervous. So I'm pulling up the questions right now so that I can have them on the side. I was not nervous. It was pretty easy. There was... A two and a half hour layover in LA, a 6 a.m. flight took me from San Francisco to LA. Um, that was really the hardest part is, I feel like that really was the hardest part is like getting my ass up after sleeping for an hour and a half. And, <laughs> and a lift, lifts are so expensive now. It was like. They're always a ripoff. I hate them. It was like. It was going to be like $66 to get to the airport and there was no ri uh, driver around. So I ended up doing something that I haven't done in years, which is calling a yellow car, a yellow cab. Yes. How did that work out? It worked out perfectly. It was faster and it was cheaper. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, uh, I'm hoping that they're like, that they are able to just keep on pushing through and survive because I think a lot of people have stopped using Lyft and Uber. Yeah. Anyways, it was easy. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And obviously Mexico city you're in, 
I mean, I just, I'm assuming the food is delicious. Tell me your favorite thing. All different kinds of Mexican food. I mean, I think the culture around eating here is, it's super approachable. There are always delicious, uh, like food carts on the streets and people go to them of any kind of background. You'll see people in suits standing and eating on the sidewalk, delicious tacos or or quesadillas or you know sopes i think just like being able to sit and have a taco or two tacos and then walk a little bit more and then maybe get hungry again and then walk eat eat something else that's it's the best it's it's soup it's like it kind of feels like the healthiest fast food that you could think of because everything is made right there and it seems to be super fresh uh, oh that sounds delicious really healthier than like what we would consider to have fast food as for sure so um i've been noticing that when i talk to people bartenders that maybe i haven't seen in a while because i haven't seen anybody in a year really it seems that people have moved through the pandemic did you did you move places i did not move places but i definitely moved from like an internal internal perspective um I st- I was I was lucky to stay in my home which um I have had the blessing of having cheap rent in a large space with good lighting and an easy landlord for um for a few years now so I was looking I think I feel like everyone in either New York and San Francisco both New York and San Francisco were looking a little bit entertaining the thought at the very least and I was no exception to that. But when I was looking at the market, there was nothing that I could find that was as good of a deal as what I had. So, so I'm still, despite me being in, in Mexico City right now, I'm still in the same home in San Francisco. Oh, that's so great because you were in the mission for a while. I was. I was on Dolores Street between 22nd and 23rd for four and a half years from 2013 until 2018, um, living in like, uh what i constitute as like a pretty typical move to san francisco during the tech boom you're young in your 20s you just want to meet and connect with people you don't give a fuck if you have to live in the closet um because it kind of came to you were living like in a dorm it, like you had a lot of you had a lot of people i had five roommates there was no common space other than the kitchen we had one and a half bathrooms i loved it it was great. And like, naturally I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I'm a very social person. I like to talk to people. So it was a good way for me to just like connect with folks, but then, and it was in the mission. It was close to my best friend, close to a couple jobs that I had close to Dolores park, you know, um, it was a good landing spot for me. Yeah. Nice. No, Cause I remember when you, when you like first arrived, yeah, cause you had to use repeater. Yeah. I would always come to the Dover Club almost every Sunday <laughs> for a while. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. And you helped me you 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 helped me make sure that I didn't get my phone stolen. Cause I remember this one time this dude was gonna steal your phone. phone and he actually had walked outside and was walking like all like like catty corner to the other, like completely across the intersection. And you were like, Will, you need to check your seat if you have your phone right now. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't have a phone. You're like, go get that shit. I was like, call me. And you were calling my phone. And I was like, and I grabbed him. And I was like, what the fuck? And found it in his front pocket. I was like, the fuck? You're lucky that I, yeah. Anyways, so thank you. Yeah, it's like, welcome to San Francisco. Yeah. San Francisco, exactly. (laughs) 
And then, so North Carolina, tell me about North Carolina. I've never been. Yeah. So I was there from about like five and a half until 18 when I um, left for college and pretty much never went back except for one summer, at least like for the extended period of time. I go back every, every year, at least once or twice a year. Um, I mean, I was a kid of the nineties in the South in like an, in an emerging, um, historically suburban Southern city. So it had very conservative tendencies, although it was considered like a liberal beacon for where it was, which I, I feel like a lot of large cities in the middle of the country and in the South probably can relate to as well. So it was, um, I mean, the, the the first thing that I remember about the difference of, because I was born in New York City, and I remember being on the playground in New York City, having, like, kissing boys and kissing girls, and the, no one gave a shit. It was like, hey, it's New York City, <laughs> right, so there's seven million other people to worry about. But B, you know, it's like, kids are kids. And also, so who who cares if who's kissing who? And the first week of kindergarten in New York, no, sorry, in North Carolina, like being bullied, being pushed into gravel, being chased, being called a fag and a homo and gay. When you're five in kindergarten? At five. So that obviously like was immediate uh, traumatization of my femininity and expressions of just of myself. Um, So yeah, I mean... I can only imagine what those what those little boys were were experiencing at home themselves. Um, luckily, I have super awesome parents. Um, I have been out to them for almost ten years now, um, and yeah, they love me. They're great. My dad is actually gay. He he came out um, five years ago. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Congratulations! Like, Thank you. Yeah, it's great for the whole family. Like, the whole fa- just bring them all out. Bring them all out. I'll take them all. Why not? You go, Morgan. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I was the first person that he came out to. Anyways, so like family, family, um, family was good. I don't know. My parents were working a bunch. You know, I was on Adderall for 10 years of my life and whatever. I had like, I had enough friends. I, I was able with like my intelligence and my humor, I was able to get enough friends and, and get by with uh, yeah. pretty much good experiences yeah uh, a, a stark difference is that there's like i grew up it was pretty much half black and half white for me growing up and that's like a, a quite a significant difference from san francisco where there's like it's multicultural but significantly like little um black population so that's something um yeah, that I, I mean, I just miss having more Black friends. Yeah, no, San Francisco has a really bad problem about kicking out the African African American community. Um, in the 90s, it was 25% was of the city's population was Black, and now it's down to 4%. Wow. So that's pretty fast. Yeah. You know, 25 years, it's pretty fast. That's crazy. Yeah, the gentrification has just kicked everybody out. Yeah. That is, again, shame on San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering, like, did you work in the service industry oh, yeah. in North Carolina? Or? I mean, my first job ever, well, my first, like, you know, so, so like, official job was, um, I was a dishwasher at Panera Bread, girl. Yes! I was scrubbing them plates, honey, and I had my radio in the back. I used to play my music while listening to, yeah, while scrubbing these dishes, and then I 
uh, graduated to like sandwich prep, mind prep stuff like that, like making salads and sandwiches. Um, but then um, fast forward like a year or two later, I got a job at a restaurant as a server. Um, there was a smoking section. There was a non-smoking section, which like obviously bitch, the whole motherfucking place is smoking. If some, if somebody's in here smoking, there's a whole restaurant section and a bar section where there's smoking. <laughs> no, bitch. No, you can sit all the way across the room. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No. We used to serve these like, oh my God, these croissants with this honey butter drizzled on top of them. Oh, so good. Just like ridiculously sized portions that were huge. That uh, sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first. I was 19 years old. In your first serving job. My first serving job. Yeah. Getting $2.33 per hour plus tips. Say that again. I'm sorry. $2.33 per hour plus tips. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Ah. Um, I was living with my parents that summer. So, like, it was really excess money. I mean, I was like, I had my meals for free. They, you know, I had like, I had, they, I was privileged enough to, to have an allowance for my parents. So I was able to drive around and, and eat there. And oh, those were the days. Even it, I mean, that was like, yeah, I could not imagine living off of that. Yeah. No one can, no one can. Um, so fast forward, you bounce to San Francisco and you are a bartender. You're a full bartender when you get to San Francisco. Oh, uh, just about, I, it took me under a year to get, um, to bartending. I had, um, started at Lolinda as a barback, um, per recommendation from someone. And in my interview, I was like, I'm going to be bartending at some point. This is my, this is my goal. This is one of my dreams. I will be bartending. So it's really a matter of who's going to train me to be a bartender. And I want to do it in like with a legit cocktail program. So if it's not y'all, then it's going to be someone else, but I want to be bartending in the next like within the year, by the, by the time the year is done. And that was February of 2014. And I was bartending by that November. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, you were like moving on up fast. I actually, I do remember you talking about barbacking at Lolinda. I, I, I actually competed in the Fernet Barback Olympics, which was very fun. I was robbed of my gold medal, but that's okay. I don't think they wanted a faggot to win. That's all right. <laughs> we conquer many other things, um, but I got third place. So I agree. I was wearing my, my little hoe shorts. People were loving it. It was cute. They were just jealous. They were jealous of the legs. It's okay. They were, yeah, they were super, super jealous. Uh, oh my God. And so pre, pre-COVID, how many bars were you working in? I was at three bars. So I, the longest one that I had been at was the Saratoga, which I helped open up. It's like, it was more like a high-end cocktail. Well, definitely a high-end cocktail program. There was like an obnoxious amount of cocktails on this menu around like 60 at any given time. Um, I had contributed a number to, to that menu. Um, unfortunately they closed during, during, uh, due to COVID after three and a half years of business. Um, so I was there at the very first day and the very last day. Uh, I was also at Jolene's, the most problematic place that I've ever worked. I was there before they opened as well in December of 2018, I was hired and stayed there until, um, until they announced that they were no longer open, which I found out a couple of days before the state had shut down and the mandate had gone into place, um, on Instagram, they were so kind to let us know, um, that we no longer were going to be open after Bad form. when Jolene herself and another bar back 
another bartender were working and they promoted as themselves taking the tips, which obviously is illegal for an owner, let alone a manager to be um, even promoting themselves as taking tips. So yeah, I was there. And then I was also um, at Macandre, which is a which was a new cocktail bar on Polk Street, like the northern end of Polk Street that my friend Aaron Paul had opened up with his business partner, Jake. Yeah, to provide like something new, something different for that side of Polk because there, mm-hmm. there really wasn't any like cocktail driven anything over there except for Harper and Rye, which was just far enough to, and it's only one, one little outlet. So yeah, I was at three bars, sometimes working six shifts a week, sometimes working four, but... Um, it was exhausting. I was happy to be done. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Six shifts a week is a lot. And then so Jolene's is not open. Saratoga isn't open. What about the last place that you mentioned? Is that open? Were they able to stay open? So Jolene's is open. Jolene's. They are. I thought they closed. Jolene's opened, I think, May of last year for... Just like simple to go stuff, like cocktails, mm, okay. right, stuff like that. And then during Pride was when the whole there was a big um, internet campaign, social media campaign against them uh, with the hashtag boycott Jolene's, which you can find on Instagram, calling them out or in, if you will, to a long list of um, issues that they. Um, that the community was asking them to address. They ended up closing, saying that they would reopen like in a month or two later, addressing all of the, addressing what they listed actually is a number of of, um, points that they wanted to, to, yeah, to address to the community. Fast forward, they reopened, I think in February and they hadn't addressed anything publicly at least. Um, And now they're doing like, drag shows and, you know, drinks and eats and still promoting themselves as like San Francisco's queer bar, even though it's very much not that. Why do you, why do you say it's not that? Or just talk about what was one of the issue that they did not resolve or were asked to? Because I do remember seeing that campaign mm. about Jolene. Mm-hmm. So it would be a year, 2020, June, 2020. And I remember seeing that. Right. It's just coming up on a year. Wow, mm. going up on the air, and I'm and I haven't. Yeah, interesting. Uh, one of the issues. Okay, so if you're going to promote yourself as an as an as like an inclusive queer mm-hmm. space, you are safe here. Everyone is welcome. I think one of the most one of the easiest ways to do that is to make sure that your staff represents members of all aspects of community, and as uh as the hiring manager owner of a place it's and you're the only one you have direct power of of doing that so if you yourself well basically everyone that was hired there after after like the initial opening was um they identify as at least at the time identified as um cis lesbians and that is kind of problematic if it's going to be an inclusive ever accepting queer space like if you want to be a dyke bar all good be a dyke bar like be a lesbian bar love that i love that and we need that absolutely but it just seems like it's trying to capitalize on the term on the idea of like oh we're gonna include everyone and be safe for everyone and like allow everyone to be here when 
who's managing? It's mm-hmm. all women that are managing. It's all cis women that are managing. There were two partners that were managing. One was the one was the chef, and one was the one was the front of house manager. That's obviously right there a direct conflict of interest. If if the two managers that are working are in a relationship, that's kind of like HR one hundred and one. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's. I agree, it's a problem. Which was brought up in one of the meetings and batted down and deemed as in in um not not an issue. Another issue is, um, I mean, just communication in general was never great. There was a sexual assault that happened in, um, at Jolene's while we were opening open one night to an, to a point where like, I think there was blood involved in one of the bathrooms and, um, staff members were asked to clean it up. People were uncomfortable cleaning it up. I'm not exactly sure all the details that transpired, but I, as a person on the staff was not made aware of this situation on this altercation i think that is um a complete misstep because as the people that are that are holding that are supposed to be holding the fort like holding enforcing the boundaries protecting our patrons i need to know the fucked up shit that's happening too so that i can actually be aware of really what's happening on the other side of the bar keep my eyes eyes on more often um more poignantly as opposed to just like living in this fantasy that my manager and my my manager and owner is feeding me and saying everyone's safe and you're safe here and there's that neon sign that says you are safe here and like we're inclusive and it's okay and like just make this drink and this is fine no someone was sexually assaulted and um yeah I mean, went through. Do you know if the police were called? Do you know if a report was made? The police were called. The person who was assaulted supposedly um, declined um, calling the police and pressing charges. So yeah, that was that. I didn't find out till uh, months later through a coworker that this had happened, um, and we had had actually multiple staff meetings. Uh, or maybe at least one, and it wasn't even brought up in the staff meeting. That's shocking. So that's just like perplexing to me. And then I guess one more thing is that, um, so like Pride, Pride 2019, I walk into work, Pride, Pride Friday. Obviously, it's going to be a busy shift. Saddle up, go to take someone's order. They order three drinks. They're like, Compton's cooler. And I'm like, what? They're like, Compton's cooler. And I'm like, I don't, we don't, we don't have that. They're like, it's on the menu. Compton's cooler. I was like, what? Go to look at the drink menu. There was a completely new list of cocktails on the menu for Pride Weekend that no one had communicated was going to be rolling out, let alone had sent any of the specs out so that as the staff, we could prepare ourselves like mentally to be able to execute. So I had to learn a list of like six drinks on the fly. There was like a handwritten menu printed or or like taped to the side of the bar that was my reference point for the six seven eight hours that I was working which like if anyone has worked in like a high intensity environment like that you know that even just having like 10 minutes ahead of time to read through these things 15 20 minutes ahead of time or like let alone give me a whole day even better so that I can absorb it and then like make you money like you want me to make you money i want to i want to make these drinks and i want to make money so like help me help you 
It was just like a lot of common sense communication that just went out the window. Um, it was Jolene's first ever um, experience owning or operating a restaurant uh, or a bar. That's what it sounds like. Yes. So it's kind of it kind of just seems like this one person thought so highly of themselves that they could do everything and provide for everyone when really that's just not the case. Like especially if you're trying to be inclusive to the community, and that's going to be both behind like on both sides of the bar you need to have like ways for lanes of communication for them you're not going to understand everyone's perspective so you should hire people that are going to understand people's perspectives and that's what it's going to be to that's that's one of the steps that you can make to be like a community driven space is that if you actually hire people within the community and you give them platforms to speak and to be seen and heard yeah that's what it sounds like it sounds like this was like their first Endeavor owning a bar, managing a bar, and it was hers. Yeah, and she originally opened it up with two other people, but one of those partners um, left quickly, and then another one left within a year. Uh, oh boy, year and a half. Yeah, so that was that. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, I again, I, re- I remember seeing those hashtags go around that just sounded really problematic and those, not at those all are just safe. Examples too. Those are just three examples. So, oh my god! Oh, and I brought up a fourth one, which is like I found out that I didn't have a job anymore there through Instagram, not through like a text message saying, "Hey, everyone, looks like COVID is getting serious. We're actually going to close the doors for now. We'll figure out this as a team going forward. That'll be that." No, I found out through an Instagram post. Rude. Rude. It was a story at that. It wasn't even a post. It was like, "I hope you catch this in 24 hours because if not, damn bitch, what? That's fucked up. That is fucked up." (laughs) That is, that's, I agree. That's super fucked up. You don't, you don't story. You don't your story business my job. Plan. You don't story <laughs> my, my getting fixed. That's fucked up. Yeah. You don't story people's livelihoods. Not that's ridiculous. At least, oh at least not before you, you ask them or, or let them know. Anyways, okay. that's life. Um, and then, so yeah, COVID get, hits, everything shuts down. Were you able to work or how did you? So McCondre, McCondre was um, able to stay afloat as well. Um, they pivoted to doing a bunch of to-go stuff. So they, I mean, it was a challenge for them. It was a challenge for them, obviously. But luckily, as I said, that they were this like cocktail cocktail bar in an area that didn't really have much like cocktail driven spaces they found a lot of success or they found an adequate amount of success doing um like craft cocktails to go and food to go i think that was starting like as soon as they could maybe in maybe in june of last year um so i ended up i started working i think two shifts a week there on average um until december when when everything shut down again, we had gone through like the opening the outdoors and then opening the indoors a little bit. And then like everything shut down back to to go stuff. So I just decided to to balance. I actually um, had started um, school for massage in in October, which I had already planned in February. I had signed up for my curriculum February of 2020. So that would that had already been a plan before COVID had hit the scene hard. Yeah, I started doing online classes, learning like anatomy and physiology, kinesiology, pathology, and and palpation in October of 2020. And yeah, I'm actually two months shy of of graduation. So yeah, uh, short and easy is I was bartending twice a week 
while also once or twice a week while also um, collecting unemployment money. Okay. So yeah. So obviously you were able to survive. I was, I was wondering how you would study to be a therapist, massage therapist during COVID Yeah, because you aren't supposed to be around people, but then how do you practice? <laughs> and um, so that makes sense online and all of the anatomy. I yeah. get that now. Um, and then also it's, I mean, it's one, one, the theme of communication going to come back the theme of communication and boundaries. Um, that's just something that we all have had to practice a little bit going through massage school is no exception because I obviously did want to get my hands on people. So I was asking friends, um, people in my pod, people that I'm close to people that I was seeing if they would be comfortable with the massage, if they would allow me to practice on them. You know, I found enough people and then I started, and then people started tipping me and people started giving me feedback. And then in February, we finally got to in-person because um, we, San Francisco had gone, I think, to like the red tier or something. And that allowed us to to start congregating in person for educational reasons. So I started getting my hands on bodies. <laughs> That's the best. So you, do you think you're 100% out of the bar industry? Because you had like a shift here and there. Yeah. I- I mean, that's a, that's hard to say. I did so. I did step behind the bar once again at Romolo just a few weeks ago, and it was not the energy that I wanted to have around me. I had never worked there before, so maybe it's part of that. Maybe that's part of the reason. It's all. It definitely is an old bar. It's like it doesn't have a speed washer. It doesn't have um, a lot of the accoutrements that I'm used to. They also didn't do any promotion of themselves being open because they were trying to like slowly get themselves used to reopening or like back, you know, back in the swing of things, which I totally understand. Also, I just, yeah, North Beach might not be my crowd. Especially on the weekends, unfortunately. Yeah, I was just there. I was just going to be there on Wednesdays. And so I think it's like a culmination of a number of things. I have this, I have a new career going for me that I'm really excited about and that I'm actually getting pretty good clientele with. I have taken enough time away from the bar and I don't, where I don't have to stand on my feet for eight hours, where I don't have to be around booze when I'm bored drinking, or, you know, it's like, you can't use your phone behind the bar and I like to be on my phone or like, I want to read a book or write in my journal. So, I mean, I love the craft cocktail world. So I can't say that I will never go back into it. I could definitely see myself doing something like consulting because mm-hmm. um, I know that I have a skill for making really wonderful drinks. But in terms of like going back to bartending full time, I don't think I'm going to do that again. I The idea of like working once a week is appealing, but I also understand programs that I, that, that I'm drawn to whoever's running them or whoever owns them might not be privy to having someone work just once a week. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. And then plus on top of that, like who do I want to work for and what is the crowd that I want to work around? Those are their own things. And I think after like a year, after 15 months of spending time with yourself and being very, very selective with who you get to spend time with, you're like, Oh, okay. This is not who I want to spend time with. Or like, maybe this is who I want to spend time with. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I really love North beach. I really do. But the weekends, I mean, again, it's such a beautiful part of the city. I love the energy, um, yeah. but the weekends yeah. are just a different story. Yeah. 
yeah, I think I would rather right now it feels good to just be able to like spend one-on-one -on -one time with people and help them heal, help them feel their body and um, in a way that helps me heal, you know, gives me, empowers me to empower other people. It's this beautiful kind of like cycle. Yeah, I like that I get to spend my time one-on-one -on -one with people doing in that kind of capacity. It seems like it's a right fit for me right now and it's opening up possibilities, so. No, I agree. You helped me. You got those kinks out of my neck and shoulder. <laughs> that was fabulous. I don't Yelp, so I'm not going to rate you and I don't rate humans, but I will definitely, um, if you need a reference or if you want me to write you a reference on your site, I will. Thank but, you. That is wonderful. Yeah. I do appreciate that so much. I probably will have a website coming up in the next year or so, I'm guessing, um, so that I can just book people more easily through there. Business cards, yada, yada, yada. Once I get my actual certification in um, August, then I'll be able to start making more business moves to legitimize my my presence. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. I don't have anything up right now on social media. And then this is my favorite question. Um, even though you're maybe transitioning out of the industry, what is your pet peeve when you're working behind the bar? Oh, a messy bartender. I fucking hate working with people that are messy bartenders. I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. Let me work by myself. Don't put, I no. Keep your bar clean. Keep your bar fucking clean. I, I know I cannot be alone in thinking when you step up to a bar, if it's clean and the bartender knows what they're doing and they can make a good cocktail quickly, there are a few things as impressive as that, especially while holding a conversation. But if, someone, if someone's scattered, it's wet, there are things everywhere, nothing seems to have its own place. Um, the bartender's in the weeds, they're short with you not short height. I love a cute short bartender. Then you're just like, you, it's like, it gives you anxiety. You're like, oh my God, am I contributing to this person like flailing and floundering and flustering and whatever another FL word is? Yeah, I hate it. Like get organized, get your shit organized. And you know, maybe that is what is one of the things that like triggered me so much with the whole like Jolene's cocktails not being, not being like, distributed pre-shift is that like all of a sudden I was floundering. I was floundered and I didn't know really where anything was because I, who knew what the ingredients were. And I like to be organized because for me, I'm like, if you have, it's muscle memory is such a thing in bartending. If you have your things in their right order and you know that that's where they go, like you can always just grab it that way. And that's how I was um, mentored to, to bartend is like put the shit back where it belongs keep your bar clean have clean dishes have everything's clean yes like be cleanly just because what i don't it's wild to me big pet peeve of mine big <laughs> pet peeve of mine and it's crazy how many bartenders think that they can just have the knowledge of making drinks and not have to worry about the presentation of themselves and like their and their craft making space as like another dynamic of like this is how you are professional bartender yeah. throwing things around you're not just wasting water you're not just wasting herbs like what are you doing <sighs> oh my god that is oh that's fabulous i love it yeah. i love it and so now that san francisco is going to open uh-huh what um, what do you wish for San Francisco nightlife? Uh, San Francisco restaurants, San Francisco bars? 
kind of an open-ended question. More parties outside. I want to see people gathering outside. I want there to be more music involved. There have been there have been bars and restaurants that have incorporated DJs into their setup, which like go to any other major city in the world, and there is often a DJ playing on a Sunday night. On a on a, I was just at a bar here. There was a DJ playing on a Sunday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Like get people enjoying themselves, having fun. Just because you're presenting yourself as like a bar and restaurant doesn't mean that you can't have people like standing up and dancing a little bit. Especially now that parklets are a thing. Like, what are you going to do with all this extra space? Yeah, you probably hired hired more staff, but like I don't know. Allow allow communities to support each other. So I want to see more vendors. I would I would just like to see cross businesses, like cross business collaboration. The fact that so many bars didn't have any food before, and then they were able to stay afloat with like whoever, whatever kind of restaurant or food vendor was around them. And then they crossed together and it's like, oh, wow, I'm having like delicious Vietnamese food at this like dive bar. Like Perfect. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Um, give those offerings, have people sell their goods. Like there are plenty of people that have transitioned into pursuing their small business dreams, their small business goals that much more seriously during quarantine. A lot of people have gotten crafty, like exploring their relationship with their hands and their imaginations, their creativity. So let's give those people platforms to get more business for themselves. You know, if someone is out spending $13 on a cocktail, chances are they'll be fine tipping a DJ a little bit or, or you know, paying a $5, $5 for a DJ or like, looking at a table of different handmade goods of a local of a local artisan if businesses have been able to survive without having the majority of their inside dining available then they can at least like open up a good amount of that and maybe like reserve part of that for a dj or an art table or something or tarot or or whatever really like let's continue to support each other because that way when someone comes into a bar or a restaurant in san francisco they're getting like more san francisco in one place as opposed to like just your drinks or just your food, yeah you know and that's like community of love like that's us supporting each other and i think no i i i agree and what do you again even though you may be getting out of the business what do you want people to know about bartenders Oh, we're people too. <laughs> we are fully, we have a, everyone that works in the service industry is their own fully realized human with their own entire set of experiences and perspectives and emotions and, ex, and experiences um, and hardships. So treat them as such. Look at somebody with empathy, with kindness, with like a, an attempt to understand that there's plenty of other shit going on in their life than like what you want from them. Cause they probably want some shit from you too. <laughs> so, so understand that like everyone is a real human and not just like your, your, your provider, even though that's yeah, your bartender robot job. that you get to scream at. Right. Even when, you know, when it, when it takes more than one minute to get your cocktail. Totally. Um, and then also be on that note, be aware that everyone has their own preferred ways of communication. So just try to use some empathy and maybe some awareness before you get short with your bartender. Try to try to figure that out on your own before, or or ask a friend, or ask a, or ask one of their coworkers. 
with kindness in your eyes, please. <laughs> yeah. That's that. Yeah, stop screaming because yes, it took two minutes. Yeah. And you yeah, you had to wait 120 seconds, you know, for that drink. Calm down. Yep. Just calm, calm down. And then what um what are your pride plans? Um, pride plans. I'm gonna be in Sequoia National Forest for a queer camp out called Camp Kaftan. Um, with about 150 other queers between LA and San Francisco, we're mostly from. And yeah, we'll be camping in the in the in the forest. So that's awesome. San Francisco Pride that I will not uh, attend since I've lived there, um, but I'm fine with that. No, that sounds really lovely. Yeah. And plus, you know, Pride, and I hate to say this, it's Pride is so corporate now. It has been until last year. So one of the reasons why I decided not to go to pride in san francisco this year is because last year it was my favorite pride that i've been to yet there was no corporate involvement it once again was quite political there were marches and rallies um to city hall down market street to the castro to dolores park everyone was wearing masks everyone was making sure that people were hydrated music dancing drinking like just like and we had all been cooped up for months at that point that it was just like nice to be around other bodies that were, that were, <laughs> that were here, that were going through the same thing that we were going through, but that were our neighbors, that were our community. And that was, I think that was like why it was so powerful for me is that was, I wasn't seeing Sky Vodka. I wasn't seeing Kettle One. I wasn't seeing Google. Google. I wasn't seeing Facebook shirts with rainbow printing. It was like my neighbors. It was my city. It was people that were still still in San Francisco and that were ready to get out and celebrate and march for a good cause. So I decided to to bow out for a year because I had such a great experience last year. I'm oh, sure that so this will be a fantastic year for Pride in San Francisco. I have no doubt that I would have so, 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 so much fun. But I also think that you should do new things. So I'm going to go and camp out in the woods and have our own little queer celebration. Oh, that is fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, A couple of things. I love divine behind you. Yes. And I think my zoom is going to be running out of time. Um, So thank you so much for gosh, taking your time out in Mexico to talk to me. It was lovely. Absolutely. and I'm obviously going to have to hook you or hit you up again for another massage. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'll be back and available for sessions July 1st. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We'll eat about a thousand tacos for I'm me. I'm on my way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and safe travels. And I'll see you when you get back. Thank you so much. And you enjoy the rest okay. of Pride Month in San Francisco. I hope you get out there. Have Have a... I don't know, have a cocktail with an umbrella in it or something for me. Of course. <laughs> okay. All right, sweetie. Bye, dear. Bye. That's another episode of Booze Nation, the podcast. A huge thank you to Will for taking time out of his Mexico City getaway to talk to me. And good luck to him with his new career as a masseur or massage therapist. I'm sure he will be so successful. Again, I can attest to his skills of getting knots and kinks out of necks and shoulders. So, so divine. 
And I felt like I glossed over an important aspect about San Francisco, which is the depletion of the Black community in San Francisco caused by many factors, but mostly gentrification and the impact it has had on the city, especially in the bar and restaurant industry. I'm going to come back to that topic at a later episode, but again, shame on you, San Francisco. And to continue on the theme of loss and community, the city has lost some long-standing gay bars pre-COVID. Marlena's is gone, the Lexington Club is gone, Esta Noche, and now, through COVID, possibly the stud could be gone. So, Jolene's, please address the issues Will and your staff asked you to do. Please listen to your employees. According to Instagram, Jolene's has reopened, which is a great thing since so many bars didn't make it. Please take the time to get this right. San Francisco is rooting for your bar. Please make it safe for everyone. Thanks. And again, thanks for listening to Booze Nation, the podcast. It can be found on SunCloud, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, if you have any questions and comments, you can email me at boozenationthepodcast at gmail.com. And remember, please tip your bartenders. Thanks. Thanks.